0: The scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 9 verses 20 through 27. It can be found on page 747 in the Black Bibles. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision."
1: Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, To the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary." Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning to you. Doesn't that sound like a fun text? Isn't
0: that exciting? I have good news for you. There are so many commentaries you can read about all those details that you think that I don't address this morning in that text. Okay, so we're gonna do what we can with it, Um, but it's it's actually a really cool text, and uh, I want us to kind of start as we think about the reality that Memorial Day is tomorrow, and um, why we do Memorial Day, you know, we do it to celebrate, to remember. Um, and there's something about the knowledge of the sacrifice that others have made for us that reminds us of the dignity that we each have and that we need to give to one another. And so we celebrate every year the great sacrifice that those who have fallen for us and served for us um, have done. And as I was thinking about that this week, I came across the first Memorial Day, serve, the first Memorial Day celebration, okay? At least they think so. And at that point in history, it was called um, Decorations Day. But it was a day where people would celebrate um, those who had fallen. They would have ribbons and flowers and all sorts of great things. And um, there was a man by the name of David Blight in 1996 who was doing research on um, a a book for the Civil War. And he was a professor of American history at Yale University. And Harvard had heard that he was going to put this book together. And so there was a curator over there in one of the libraries in Harvard who um, said, hey, we have a box ...full of letters from Union troops that no one's ever looked through... ...that date back to 1865, which is significant because the Civil War ended in 1865... ...and no one's ever looked through it. And since you're doing research on that, would you like it? And he said, of course I would. And so he looks through it and he finds lots of interesting things. But two uh, newspapers that he finds in in these clippings and different things in this box... ...both uh, corroborate this event that took place on May 1st, 1865... In, on May 1st 1865 which is like three weeks or so after the Civil War ends there's this, and there's this great celebration of people 10,000 people gathered together around this racetrack which before the war had been this posh fancy country club okay? everybody loved it, it was a great place but during the Civil War it became a prison camp for Union troops and so many of the Union soldiers died there and when the war was over um, 10, 000, uh, a group of freed slaves exhumed the bodies and they gave them proper burials. And then 10,000 people gathered on May 1st to celebrate them around the racetrack, most of which were freed slaves. 3,000 black school children carried bouquets of flowers and sang John Brown's body. Members of the famed 54th Massachusetts and other black union regiments were in attendance and performed double-time marches. Black ministers recited verses from the Bible. And um, and they did all these things. Why did they do this? You know, they did it to honor the sacrifice of those who had died for them. But they also did it because the reward, what happened in light of that sacrifice, would bring generations of blessing. It changed their world. It changed their children's world. It would change the world for their great-grandchildren. They remembered and they celebrated. And it reminded them that they were worth celebrating also. You know, it's a celebration about life and freedom. You know, we continue doing that even tomorrow. My kids don't know this yet, but Jamie and I have plans tomorrow to take them to Memorial Park, I think, in Sugarland. And y'all aren't excited about it, it's going to be great, though. We're going to have a lot of fun going there to celebrate and kind of remember together. Um, Daniel chapter 9, that sort of thing sort of happens in verses 20 to 27 in the sense of remembering the great sacrifice that one is going to make, who's going to sacrifice everything that is going to yield something so beautiful and wonderful for his people. It's actually such an important text um, that if you read it, you begin to become aware of not just who Daniel is and not just that God is aware of Daniel, but you begin to understand what it means for Daniel to know that God is aware of him, that it transforms even Daniel as he looks forward to this prophecy and it has this prophecy interpreted from earlier in the text. And from other places in the scriptures, uh, something magnificent happens when he's told about the great sacrifice of the anointed one who will come, who will be remembered, whose life and ministry will change and transform everything. It's a foreshadowing, of course, of Jesus. And so what we're going to do together for the next 22 minutes is think together about Daniel's awareness of himself, God's awareness of Daniel, and then Daniel's awareness of God's awareness of him. So it's going to be, we're going to go through this. All right, Daniel's self-awareness of himself. What do we see Daniel doing? He's speaking, he's praying, he's confessing his sin and the sin of his people. He's making a plea before the Lord. He does all of this at the time of evening sacrifice. Like, Does that sound like a familiar experience to you? Daniel's in this context of worship and though they had not been worshiping in the temple at this point, there was a regular experience of gathering to do what? Commune with God. Daniel is aware that he has a deep need to commune with God. That's really what we do each Sunday morning in this place, um, or Sunday evening, starting next week at 5 o'clock, is communing with God with one another. We are, we're, we're pleading together, making pleas to God. We're singing together. We're remembering together. We're being inspired by the reality of what God has told us, who we are, and what he's called us to, and those things shape how we then live. Daniel's doing that. He's communing with God. And because of what Daniel's doing, as we see him commune, we learn a couple things about Daniel. First that Daniel knows who he is not. He knows he's not capable of getting he and the people out of the situation they find themselves in. There's an element of humility there, but also reality. They're being oppressed. Um, They're in a place where these promises that have been made to them that God will provide for them haven't been fulfilled entirely in Daniel's mind or the people's mind. They're waiting for God to respond. There's calamity and oppression. There's great frustration. And Daniel and the people know that part of that is because there's an enemy out there There's a force out there, but they also know, which is why Daniel confesses his sin, that there's something deep within him that is also causing this dissonance he has with God, his own sin. And what the catechism tells us is that sin is any want of conformity or transgression of the law of God. In other words, it's anything in our hearts that convince us that the will and ways of God are not best for us, lead us to a place we would never want to go if we knew it would lead us there. And yet... How many of us this week, how many times each of us this week have done things that are not in accord with God's will and his ways because we think there's a better way? Whether it's being the first to confess or being humble or gracious or not being bitter and first, whatever it is, not believing that God's will and his ways are best, that experience is the very experience that Daniel is talking about when he says confessing his sin and the sin of his people. Daniel knows that the reality of ignoring God has had an impact on himself and and on the people. He's keenly aware he's not God and and that there's something going on there in their lives and around them that he can't do himself. And so what does he do? He goes to God. Daniel knows who he is, that he's a child of God, that he has access to God, that he and the people of God are in a pit. And yet, what is Daniel doing? Speaking, praying, praying confessing his sin, making pleas to God, and doing this at the evening sacrifice, which was like saying a regular time. Daniel and the people know they are the beloved of God. They're remembering God's promises to them where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Not, I'm gonna try to be your God and try to be faithful and I'm gonna do my best for you, but no, I'm going to be your God, you are going to be my people, and this is the starting place for your existence. This is a really good thing for us to consider. In your own life, if you start with the things that are difficult in your life or the things that are really good in your life to define you, they're going to deceive you. God calls us to start with this fundamental reality. You will be my people, I will be your God, and we will go forward. That's who you are. You know, when you're in a, you know, there's enough people in this room where this is, it's true to say some of you are in very, very difficult places right now. And some of you are in really, really good places right now. And for those of you who are in very, very difficult places, it's easy to forget that God is present. And yet God says, I am with you. And for those who are in really good places, you're like, well, God's fine and whatever, it's good. But things are, life's great, whatever. Well, like God calls us to celebrate the good things that he's given to us. We're all called to remember who God is. We tend to forget this is a call back to remember. Regular communion with God. Speaking with God, praying with God, confessing our sin, gathering together as we are doing now. Daniel would have remembered this text from Jeremiah 31 where we read, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the, least, from, from the least to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Daniel's remembering he is one who has been made promises to by God to be forgiven, to be renewed, to be reconciled, to be strengthened. You know, the only place we, when we think about who we are, self-aware of, of our own lives, the places where we can find the ability to be gracious is not just from within yourself. It is only in light of how gracious you think God has been to you. You will never be able to forgive people until you realize how much God has forgiven you. That's how it works. We're meant to live in light of the transforming realities of who God says that we are. And as we begin to live that, we begin to, we begin to express that reality in all the different places of, of our lives. So are you self-aware? Like, are you, Who are you? Are you the person that simply has a status before other people? Or are you only the what other people perceive you to be? Are you simply the sum of your accomplishments? Like, who are you? There's something going on in this text that says there's, there's something much greater about who we are than those things. Those things matter. They're not insignificant. But first and foremost, you will be my people. I will be your God. This will be your true north. Which leads to this second idea of God's awareness of Daniel. How do we see God's awareness of Daniel work itself out here? Verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, Daniel says, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to... T- Come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, do you see God's awareness of Daniel here? He sends Gabriel. That's crazy. An angel flies. I don't know if it's Superman style or if it's just a metaphor for moving directly. I don't know what it is, but Gabriel flies to Daniel immediately in response to Daniel's prayer. That's that's a, that's incredible. You know, as a pastor, people ask me all sorts of questions about spirituality and and things, and children will ask me stuff like, What does it mean to have Jesus in your heart? Like, how do you articulate that to a six year old or a four year old? Or they'll say, Can God see me when I'm lying in bed at night? As if He can only see you if you're out from under the trees beneath the stars. You know, the point is, is that God is actually aware of you in all places at all times, no matter where you find yourself. Whether you put yourself there or you find yourself there as a victim, God is aware. He is with you. He is present. I have adults who ask me harder questions. And as pastors, you know, any of your pastors will tell you this on a regular basis, we're trying to help people remember that in the midst of their suffering and their difficulty, whatever you're thinking is happening, it is not that God is not aware. God is aware. God is with you. God is present. And in this text, you see a couple different ways that works itself out. God sends Gabriel, that's true. You're probably not going to see that this week if I was going to guess. You're probably not going to see an angel rush towards you. If you do, it's going to be very freaky. Like, that's going to be crazy. But Daniel comes directly to reveal something to Daniel, and that is to make clear to him what God's doing, to give him insight and understanding, because Daniel doesn't know what's going on. You know, his purpose is so that Daniel doesn't feel like God, feel like God is confusing. Do you ever feel like that? That God is distant, that you can't understand him? Please hear me when I say this. The reason God sent the Son into the world in the incarnation is so that he could be tangible before you. The reason we have the written word, the scriptures, is because we need to be those who can access the very word of God. Do you feel like God is distant from you? I have great news for you. Tomorrow's your day off, and you can read the Bible all day long. And you can access God's word all day long. And hear from the one who made heaven and earth all day long. God is aware of you. Verse 23, Gabriel tells Daniel that his pleas and prayers have been heard by God. Do you believe that? This morning, as you have been praying, those prayers rise into the very throne room of God, and he hears and responds. What's tough for us is that God doesn't always respond like we think he should or when we think he should, but he always responds. And that thing between wanting God to respond and him not responding, that place we find ourselves, that's called the journey of faith expressing faith that God's going to be who he says he's going to be, even when our minds can't quite put all of it together, that God is actually aware of us, loves us, moves towards us in our suffering, celebrates, us, celebrates with us in the midst of our joys, that in always and every moment, God's as aware of us as he was of Daniel in this text. In fact, when you begin to wonder if God's aware, go back to Daniel 9. Read how God responds to his people. Be encouraged that God wants you to know him. It's why he's given his word to us. So that's all incredible. But then what I really find amazing about this text is in this text, if you read it, what you discover is the very tone of God that he has towards Daniel, his tone. Now, tone's a big deal, how you communicate with people. Do you know, for those of you who have Alexa, you think it's awesome, we have one, you know, whatever. But their new marketing strategy I just read about this week, is Amazon is now analyzing your inflection and your tone when you make requests to determine how much advertising they should focus on you based on the product that you're ordering. Your tone is coming up through some device that sends a message across the country where they can analyze what you actually want by what you said and how you said it. Tone matters. You know, it's like my kids, they they don't do this anymore, of course, but when they were younger and they would apologize and roll their eyes, I could tell that it wasn't maybe totally a sincere apology. You know what that's like. Saying the right words is not meaning the right thing. God's tone comes through crystal clear here. What we read, 70 weeks are decreed from about your people, your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. So there's all these promises that are being made. But listen to the motivation for why God sends Gabriel. Are you ready? At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out to Gabriel. He heard it. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Do you, under, do you hear that? The motivation, the reason, the entire purpose, the context for which God sends this message to Daniel is based on this reality right here. You are greatly loved. If you're new to the faith, or if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and it seems dry, I can promise you right now the place you need to start with at this moment, this morning, is to bask in the reality that you are greatly loved. Now, just in case you think that's spiritual mumbo-jumbo from a pastor, I'm going to read you an article from Psychology Today. They're not using the Bible as a source or reference material, but they talk about how important the experience and the knowledge of love is for your soul. Are you ready? This is what the article says. Love is as critical for your mind and body as oxygen. It's not negotiable. The more connected you are, the healthier you will be, both physically and emotionally. The less connected you are, the more you are at risk. It is also true that the less love you have, the more depression you are likely to experience in your life. Love is probably the best antidepressant there is because one of the most common sources of depression is feeling unloved. Most depressed people don't, lose themselves, don't love themselves, and they do not feel loved by others. They also are very focused on themselves, making them less attractive to others and depriving them of opportunities to learn the skills of love. Then they go on to list three ideas about what love looks like. Now, I'm not telling you this so you can go calibrate your whole entire life to psychology today. I'm telling you because there's a common grace and reality of who God is and who he's made us to be that you can find anywhere if you'll look. So then what is love as defined by psychology today in 2012? Number one, recognize the difference between limerence and love. The difference between infatuation and actual quality love. Limerence is that first stage of mad attraction whereby all the hormones are flowing and things feel so right. It lasts on average six months. It can progress to love. Love mostly starts out as limerence, but limerence doesn't always evolve into love. Okay? So there's the idea of actual love, not understanding the difference between it and infatuation. That's one important element to love. Number two, know that love is a learned skill. Love is a learned skill. It's not something that comes from hormones or emotions particularly. Eric Fromm called it an act of the will. If you don't learn the skills of love, you virtually guarantee that you will be depressed. Number three, learn good communication skills. They are a means by which you develop trust and intensify connection. So let's review for a moment God's approach to us in light of what we just read. God's love for us as we read in Daniel chapter nine is a true love. It is a lasting love. It is an ageless love made promises to Moses and Abraham and all the patriarchs leading up to Daniel as well as to us today. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is not infatuation. This is not a six month affair. This is permanent, ageless, eternal love. Secondly, love is a learned skill. God chooses to love us, to love us perfectly perfectly. He responds to us. He communicates as we read in that third idea. He sends Gabriel to make clear to us who he is and his intentions for us. God does not want us to live in the confusion of what he intends for us. What does God intend for you? In the most basic of terms, it starts at least with this, that you would know you are dearly loved. In fact, none of the rest of the text even matters if you don't believe that. You are a dearly beloved child of God. God is aware of you. God is interested in you. God is moving toward you. In Daniel's moment of suffering, God is moving toward him. In your moment of suffering, God is moving toward you. In Daniel's longing for renewal, God's moving towards Daniel, in your longing for renewal and reconciliation, God is moving towards you. First Corinthians chapter 8 verse three says this, "If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Do you have any desire to know God? That love for God is evidence that you're known by God. Do you see how that is? God provokes love in us. The experience of love for God in us reminds us that God knows us. God is interested in us having the security of His affections. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? I would encourage you to start with this understanding that you are deeply loved by the Maker of heaven and earth, which leads me kind of this third idea as we're considering this. this Journey that Daniel's going on, of wrestling with his own emotions, wrestling with himself, struggling to understand God's love for him in the midst of a very difficult circumstance, trying to have faith even when everything around him is pushing in a different direction. That experience of faith, that journey, is the very same thing we go through. And what it leads Daniel to understand, what it's meant to lead us to understand, is Daniel's awareness of God's awareness of him. Do you really believe that God is aware of you? That he doesn't just know you exist, but he considers you precious. That's the message that Gabriel is first bringing to Daniel. He's saying, look, I need you to understand before we get into all the interpretations of the 70 weeks and and, the desolations and the coming kingdom, the anointed one, and all these promises. The only reason this is happening is because you're dearly loved. Daniel's awareness of God's awareness of him. There's something just magnificent about discovering that someone's aware of you, especially when they're really powerful and full of love. It's partly why it was so impressive this past week when we heard about Robert Smith and what he did for the the college graduates of Morehouse. Did you hear about this? Unbelievable. Um, This is is what part of his commencement address said. This is my class, 2019, and my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. He went on to encourage the students to pay it forward so that they would be unencumbered as their lives move on. Now, this guy's like net worth is $5 billion, so he's got a lot of money, but $40 million is still a pretty generous gift. And he completely frees them of debt. And what he knew is statistically in our country, 70% of all college graduates will leave with some form of debt. 70%. Of those 70%, almost all of them think it will take them six years to pay off their student loans. In reality, it takes 15 to 20 years. And in one fell swoop, Robert Smith frees these students to be able to move to the next thing, to pay it forward. What's so remarkable to me about that story, it's a lot of money. I mean, that's so much money, you, might, you could say a fulfillion. Like, I don't know the difference between that and that number. But what's so amazing to me about this is that he made a real, tangible promise to these students that by fulfilling, they feel free, they feel enabled to do what they're actually they didn't go to college so they could leave with debt that wasn't the goal they went to college to be able to be educated and pursue their life's calling and now they've been freed to do it and daniel as he hears from gabriel on what god's plans are is reminded that god is going to be faithful that god is going to deliver his people there's so many exceptional things here if there's only one part of the prophecy you hold on to let, let, can i please let it be this Verse 25, where it talks about the coming of the anointed one. There's all this foreshadowing about who Jesus is going to be. The coming king who will, as we read here in the text, uh, will uh, finish the transgression, put an end to all sin. He will atone for iniquity. He will bring everlasting righteousness. He'll seal both vision and prophet to anoint a most holy place. If you really want to just like take the main point out of that text, and you could spend days and days and days and days and days looking at this text. It's that the anointed one come Comes, does business, and it's really beautiful. He frees his people. There's angelic beings flying around. Daniel conversing with angels. There's this idea of the the seventy weeks, which is this imagery of fullness. How many days are in a week? Seven. Seventy times seven. Like, where have you kind of heard this phrase before? When Peter says to Jesus, "How many times should I forgive somebody?" Jesus's response: I sh- "You should forgive them." 77 times, right? There's this, there's this imagery of wholeness and completeness. And the, Gabriel lays out this vision about like a half week and sacrifice. There's lots of amazing stuff in there. But it all comes back to this point. The Holy One, the anointed one who has come is able to fulfill the experience and expression of this promise made to Daniel that you are the dearly beloved. That you belong to the God of heaven and earth that God's plans for his people includes redeeming them and restoring them and renewing them. That's my encouragement to you this week as you head into Memorial Day and you have the day off tomorrow is to is to, you know, get up in the morning, maybe read this text, but to actually pause and ask yourself the question, do I really understand that I am the beloved of God? Am I living out of the reality that I am treasured by God, that he approaches me, that he wants to know me, that he wants to... Uh, grow me and develop me in my life? Or am I living out of another kind of awareness? God's inviting us to live under this great promise that he's made a covenant to us, that he will fulfill it, and that he will sustain us. And as we approach the table this morning, that would be my prayer for you, is that each of us sort of pause and consider what it means for us to be the greatly, dearly loved of God. Let's pray together as we celebrate the supper. Father, this morning as we consider your word and Really, these incredible promises that, in fact, we are your dearly loved. Father, we would ask that you would inspire us, that you would inspire us to live in light of the fact that Christ died for us, to inspire us to live in the future with the promises of your kingdom coming to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And, Lord, that you would catch us up in it, motivated by your love. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.